Well, good morning. I'm uh, thankful and blessed and excited to have you guys here. Those of you who are visiting with us, thankful and excited to have you here. Um, we are entering a new series for the summer. We're calling it Summer in the Psalms as I kind of introed a little bit about some of the songs we're going to sing. And so the goal is um, uh, some of the psalms are complicated. This first song is not, psalm is not very complicated, but it's very pointed. And so I hope um, that we feel this uh, uh, truth that the Lord is teaching us. And so in that, again, I'm super thankful and blessed. You guys, uh, Redeemer Church, are a wonderful, uh, uh, blessed people that we get to live life together and see what the Lord is doing here in Irving and abroad. And so thank you for your uh, living this, this, the way of the, of the righteous and blessed. And so that is my encouragement for us today. And for some of us who uh, may be either grieving the Spirit or um, not believers at all, that is our encouragement as well. The, the Psalm 1 will tell us that there are two ways to live. And so we're going to look at these two different ways to live. And so, um, again, I, I, I'm encouraged and, and pray that um, we come with hearts that are open to receive what the Lord has for us today, um, that we uh, come humble and say, Lord, right now, just take a pause and say, Lord, help me understand this. You might be like, I already know the right way to live. We all do. Um, hopefully, if we're believers, we may know it here. This psalm is about here, hitting the heart and being ones who delight in the Lord and meditate on his word day and night. And so, um, have you ever been lost or stuck not knowing which way to go? Uh, we, maybe you were a kid. Maybe there's a situation when you were older. I remember I went hiking a few years ago. And if you know me, I'm not a hiker. Uh, I've done plenty of physical stuff in my young days, and I'm done with hiking. Uh, a lot of people like it. I don't. I was like, okay, tree. I can see the trees in my car and the, and, the, and the rivers and the lakes and all that stuff in Colorado in my car driving and then just go to a coffee shop. But I, I digress. If you love hiking and nature, I get you. The Lord is there. Um, he is with you. I, I, my body hurts. I'm, I'm not a fan. But these guys took me hiking, okay? And it was fine. It was, it was I still saw the Lord. I, I, I could have done it um, for my car again. But um, the point is, I was going through the Rocky Mountains on these trails, and I'm not a hiker, y'all. And so even the guys that are hikers, they would have been lost without these guides guiding them and leading them through literally dark. I remember one time we were just had to sit in this tent, and it was just raining like, and then hailing. And so I, I don't know where to go. Uh, most people in that situation would, have no, would, would not know which way to go. There was terrain, there was mountains, there was these things called switchbacks, and there's like canyons and all this stuff. And guys, the way was daunting and confusing. Sound like life? And without these guides, I would be lost, and I would not know which way to go. So the question is, are you lost or stuck today, not knowing which way to go? And maybe some of you are not believers, maybe some of you are believers. And either way, we can get in a, in a, in a place in our life where we don't know which way to go. And sometimes the reason is that we may be guiding ourselves because we don't know the right way, right? We have put something else over God and we've forgotten the way. Or we may think our way is better than God's way. Maybe you are seeking God's way. And maybe you're like, man, I don't think my way is better than God, but I'm seeking his way, but I just don't know what that is, practically, I don't know what to do. 
Either way, wherever you are or find yourself today, I want to encourage you today that Psalm 1 will show us two ways to live. And our study of God's word today will help us answer the quick question of which way to go. But before we get into Psalm 1 today, I want to give us some background about the Psalms. And so that Psalms are usually broken up into five books. And there's various authors and various situations that are, that are written. The Psalms were these collection of songs. And that's why we're singing Psalms. We'll be singing a lot of Psalms this summer. So I encourage you uh, to come and think of this time. Which what should happen on Sunday morning is this time of just worship to God. Like, that's what we're doing. It shouldn't be a drag. It shouldn't be, oh, man, I, I have to go and, and sing songs to God. God, uh, in a sense, commands us. Uh, and the people of, uh, in the Old Testament did it. People in the New Testament, I'm just talking about music. They would come and they would sing to God and not just uh, sing to God, not just sing vain songs that mean nothing, but songs that were worshipped. They would worship God through music. And I think there's something in our, in our culture that is, is, is missing about that and that we want music done our way or uh, we want it to be done, um, uh, you know, uh, sing certain things. And again, remember what it said, to so sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The Bible is saying sing different songs. It says sing a new song. This is very important as we talk about the psalms. The songs come from various viewpoints, from King David, from, from Asaph, from Korah, who were musicians, from Moses and possibly others like Solomon and other historical psalmists we see. The, the point is that the psalms teach us to praise God by loving his written word. And Psalm 1 will set that tone. And, and, and it teaches us to know God's written word, the Bible, and his living word, Jesus, which actually changes us as believers. And so the Psalms will teach us to praise God. The Psalms will teach us to love God's word. And so you first need to praise God. The Psalms show us various ways to worship God through music and in our lives and in various situations. The Psalms teach us to love God's word. The Psalms teach us this love of God's written word, which points us to the living word, Jesus. And the Psalms teach us to know that worship actually changes us as believers. Like it will foundationally change you. Our, our worship changes us. May it be through praise or lament or these other themes or situations when enemies are coming your way. Our worship is centered on dependence or abiding in our great God, which actually changes us moment by moment, day by day. And so Psalm 1 is this, serves as this gateway to the entire book of the Psalms, which means praises. These were, again, psalms that were actually, psalms were songs that were actually sung. That's a lot of the S's, alliteration for you. So we think, again, often of praise in the sense of adoration or hands up high or smiles or just praising and being happy, which, which can be true. That's, that's, a, that's how worship looks sometimes. But if we look at the entirety of the book of Psalms, we can understand that praise or worship to God for sure can be thankful, but we can also be scared when we worship God. In a sense, we can not know what's coming before us, when enemies are against us, when we need to cry. The Psalms have a range of situations where, where there are these songs, guys, these songs that God left us. That, that demonstrate worship of and towards God in the good and in the bad. Sounds like Paul and Philippians that we just studied. Psalm 1 helps us to understand that our worship to God must be centered on worship that embraces and loves God's law, 
Literally, in our text today, his instruction, his word, his written word that we have, the Bible. Okay, we don't love and worship the book. We love and worship the author of the book. We're going to talk about that in a second. But remember this phrase. So which way should we go? Um, the Bi- Psalm 1 teaches it that to love God is to love his word. Again, to love God is to love his word. And so we must see the connection to the law as, as a synonym in this context for God's word. So the part of the law that Jesus quotes as the greatest commandment, it's like Jesus knows what he's talking about, he comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And it's known as the Shema, which means, listen, here, pay attention. If you're sleeping, I'm sorry. I just woke you up. Pay attention, okay? He says, this is the Shema, which again summarizes the law that Jesus says, the great commandment, to love God and to love people. Because if we really love God, then we will love his law. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. And we will want to pass on this law to others, to our children, the Shema tells us. And, to, and to, to, to other people. Remember, there are two ways to live. And the psalm will show us and challenge us as to which way we should go. So said more fully, Psalm 1 will teach us two ways to live. God's children must go in the way of the righteous and not the wicked. Which means that the righteous live knowing that to love God is to love his word. Meaning... God's children must know his written word, which allows us to know his living word, Jesus. And so let's read Psalm 1, 1 through 6. Again, open your Bible, have your words. Um, God is using me to be a mouthpiece, but I want you, and and our point here at Redeemer is to get you in the word. I'm going to teach just and help you know how should I read my word. I should read it word for word. I should look at it. I should, during the sermon, have your eyes and heart in the text. If you want to get a, a cheap, a ch- easy way to memorize scripture as we're walking through it, keep your Bible open. Keep looking at it. Keep, as I walk, I'm going to walk through each verse. Keep, look at it with me. Let that engage your heart. I'm, I'm hopefully teaching you a way to engage in God's word and to start that process of loving God's word. You have to actually look at it, right, and, and study it and, in a way, be obsessed with it because it's the word of God. And so let's look at Psalm 1, starting book 1. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All right, so we're going to see three main things. And firstly, we are going to see the way of the righteous or blessed. Remember, there are two ways to live, and God's children must go in the way of the righteous and not the wicked, which means that the righteous live knowing that to love God is to love his word, meaning that God's children must know his written word, which allows us to know his living word, Jesus. And so firstly, we see the way of the righteous or the blessed. 
in verses 1 through 3. We're going to see that firstly. Secondly, we're going to see the way of the wicked or the cursed in verses 4 and 5. And then thirdly, we will conclude learning that God knows the blessed's way. Be comforted in that. And he knows the wicked's way, which leads to death. So let's look firstly at verses 1 and 3, where we see the way of the righteous or blessed. Again, in verses 1 and 3. And it says this, verse 1. Blessed or blessed is the man or person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So let's look at a few things in this. It says, blessed, the person has received blessing from the Lord who created everything. Like you are blessed. How? It says, blessed is this man, meaning this human. It's given the example of a man who walks. There is this proactive walking and going into and leaning into I can call this, in a sense, proactive discipleship. You don't just sit on your duff and do nothing. God has given us a body. He's given us will. Blessed is the man who walks not in what? In the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. These are all kind of synonyms. So this person is not listening to the things of the world. He's not listening to what wicked people say all the time. He's not listening to this news thing or that news thing and letting that hook into his soul and and, and deceive them. They are not standing in the way of sinners. They're not actively trying to engage sinners. And and they don't sit. Again, these are all synonyms for the same idea. In in, in the seat of scoffers and people who mock or who are looking to say wicked things about God or about God's people, this is not how the righteous person lives. So, so my question to us is, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Where and who are you spending your time with? Think about it. I'm good. Maybe. There's a thing called social media, right? There are all these little trappings now. Or man, we are, the, the, the seat of scoffers are literally on our phones, right? I mean, the, the way of, of the sinner is right here, right on that next little click on Facebook or Instagram or whatever social TikTok things that we use, it's right there to, to engage you, to trip you, to lie to you, to put little seeds. And we're going to talk about uh, streams uh, and, and what a stream does. And so are you allowing this darkness to enter you? Who and what are you spending your time with? And then who and what are you listening to? And then who and what are you watching? Many people, honestly, guys, don't have real friends. You have people in your life that are like the people mentioned above, honestly. And you wonder why your life is in chaos. And we wonder why we can't progress. The Bible is going to talk about us prospering. That's not prosperity gospel. It's Jesus gospel. And so uh, it doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect. And No, these are general truths that most people following the Lord will have this prosperous life. God brings us to chaos. God brings us to lament. Again, remember the Psalms. I'm not saying that, okay? But if your life is a track record of just chaos after chaos after chaos after chaos induced by you being, and if you're honest, in the presence of darkness all the time, what do we expect? Again, most people don't have real friends. That's why we need the church of God. 
where you have real friends, and I mean real, that can lovingly call you out, that can lovingly see, hey, are you okay? They can give you counsel. The Bible says that blessed is the person who stands in the counsel of many. I, was, I, was, I, do, uh, I enjoy like learning about the foundation of the nation of Israel and um, this thing called the Zionist movement and all that. But in some of that came the, the Israeli uh, like, uh, intelligence, um, and they're, uh, they're called the Mossad. And so they're like the, the James Bond of Israel. And, and their tagline is Psalm 1124 that says uh, that, that the, the wise person walks in the counsel of many. That's what the Israeli intelligence says. And so that's kind of what it's getting at here. Do we surround ourselves with the family of God? Are you part of a family to walk with, to keep you accountable? God's family is founded on the word of God. Look how the blessed man acts. That's verse 2. Look how the blessed man acts. Remember, we're looking at the way of the blessed or the righteous. It says, but his delight, his love, his passion. I, I'm Latino, and I know we're extra passionate, but I, I, would, I think that's something the American folks can learn from the Latinos. It's like to have a little more passion. And it's not fake. It's not just like producing passion, but it's, man, I love God's word, and I, man, I must express it. Not in, not in a uh, ridiculous way, but, man, just passion or compassion with passion. is. Do you love God? Does his word burn in your soul? Do you want to know it? Do you wake up thinking, man, what does God's word say about this? Man, I love the Lord. Man, I'm thinking about him. Oh, this evil thought comes in the way. I want to combat that with loving God and, and his word. What is his word? Are you waking up grabbing your phone and listening to Facebook? Or do you listen to Facebook? Yeah, you can, right? Watch or listening to Facebook. Or is your heart use this tool? Pull up God's word. If that's your temptation, when you wake up, open up the Bible. And I guarantee you, your life will be changed. Have a rhythm. What are you reading every day? Start with a psalm. Start with a proverb. There's 31-ish days and months, right? Read a proverb a day. One of my friends told us, and they release some stress, like we have to, you know, if you are not reading God's word, just read something. Start with a verse or two that will be in your head all day. May the, may the words of my mouth, we're going to sing this at the end of the service. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. God doesn't care if you've read 30,000 chapters of the Bible in the morning. That'd be cool. Who has time to do that? Read something. Have a plan. If you don't have a plan, you will fail. Remember, the, per, the, the person who does this is walking in the way of the Lord. That means they're preparing. They're not just sitting on their duff and saying, I'm supposed to osmosisly, if that's not a word, by osmosis, absorb God's word. Have a plan. Be a man and a woman of action and of God. If not, you're going to wonder why your life is in chaos. And God said, I've given you the, my word. Like, I've given you what I've said. Love it. Because when you love it, you love him. Look. Verse 2, but his delight, this man, this righteous man's delight is in the law of the Lord. It says in the instruction is what the law means. Who likes instruction? Some people do. Some people like instructions when you get like a new little thing to build. I actually do like instructions because I'm not very handy, so I need to know exactly what to do. If I have instructions, I can do it. Um, that's how it was in the Air Force. They'd tell you to fix some big plane thing. and I was like, oh, gosh, I don't know how to do it. I need a book. And they'd give you a book, and the book would be still not helpful, and you have to fix it instruction, okay? Most of us don't like instruction. I don't need the book. Some of us are that person. We're like, I don't tell me what to do. 
I know what to do. How many times your parents tell you something? You're like, whatever. They have, they have no idea. Then now, now you're like 45. I'm like, oh, okay. They knew what they were talking about, right? Instruction is important. Rules are important. Without, relation, without rules, you can't have a relationship. If this person gets to do whatever they want, there's no relationship. Rules and relationships go together. And so that's why God has given us his law. He's given us rules because we will, by, because of the sin in us, break the rules. We love to break the rules. And God says, I've given you a way to combat that, to delight, to love this instruction of the Lord. And it says, look, and on his instruction or his law, that the, the, the righteous person meditates. It's not just to think about and let it go. Meditate is this deep form of thinking, Okay. And, and, and it's used in various ways in our language today where you can think of like the, the kind of uh, Eastern or um, which can even be a form of witchcraft, meditating, of emptying your mind. This is the opposite. This is filling your mind with Christ. It's not emptying your mind. It's meditating. It's loving. It's craving. It's wanting. It's having passion. It's letting it roll around your head more than evil and sin. That's how you fight sin. Remember Psalms a few weeks ago? Think about these things. Whatever is lovely, whatever is pure. That's what it means to meditate on the word. Do you, when you read something, when you engage with someone, does the word of the Lord just spew through your heart? Not to be a, a self-righteous Pharisee or someone who's a know-it-all, but do you just in your heart love God's word? It says that we, we met, he meditates on it day and night. So what is this telling us? Is this just an idealistic person? I don't think so, guys. I think this is an actual person that through Jesus, even in the Old Testament, they were living this way because they were looking forward to Christ. And they didn't even realize it, but there's all these seeds of Christ pointing to this Messiah that would come. And these Psalms now minister to us because we actually see Christ. Because Jesus is saying the same thing. You love me, love people. He's saying, remember the instruction, remember the Shema. Remember my word, remember my law. He said that's the greatest thing, to love God and to love people. So I want to read what is known as the Shema again. I want to read it. Again, we referenced this earlier, but I want us to know this because Jesus actually quotes this as, in a sense, the greatest instruction, the greatest law. And if you're going to be here at Redeemer, we're going to say this a lot because it is the foundation of the gospel. It's the foundation for you understanding Jesus. You, sometimes we want to go deeper, but we forget the law, we, we, I mean, we forget this simple command that Jesus says to love God and to love people. If you have all this empty head knowledge, but you aren't living, abiding in Jesus, all your knowledge is worthless. I read Ecclesiastes, it's pointless. Let's be these kind of people. Listen to the, to the Shema, which means to hear, to pay attention, to listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, triune God. In one was what he's saying. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. In these words, I command you today shall be on your heart. It's the same idea of meditation. They would be in your soul, in your heart, that you would love them. And if you really do, the Shema says, you will teach them diligently. Like, not just like, oh, parents sometimes are so scared. They're like, I don't want to over Jesus my kid. You, you can't. Don't be a Pharisee. Discipline and love. That's what Jesus says. Hebrews 12. Go read Hebrews 12. The Bible is about discipline and love. What are instruction and rules? Discipline. If we don't have discipline, you will fail. Satan is disciplined, and he's going to come at you. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he's plotting and prodding to bring you down, to bring this church down. 
to, to bring disunity, to break relationships, to break your family, to break that relationship with your kid or your, or, or your spouse. Satan has a plan. God has given us a plan. Press in. It says, you shall teach them diligently with passion. You, you got to know God's word to teach it diligently, right? You have to be in it yourself. You have to have put in some city miles in knowing God's word to teach it. And yes, the church is responsible to aid you in that, but ultimately, you need to wake up every morning delighting in God's word, reading God's word, studying it, asking questions about it that honor God. Not disrespectful questions, but questions that honor God. Listen to this. You shall teach them diligently. That means you're doing it a lot. You're doing it with passion. You're doing it because you know it. And you shall talk of them. Of what? What's them? Of the law, of his instruction. When you sit down in your house, opposite of what the scoffers do. And when you walk by the way, hmm, that's what the scoffer, we don't do that with scoffers. We do that with God's word. And when you lie down and rise up, it's saying all throughout the day. And it's possible. I'm not saying I'm an expert at it, but man, I love God's word. I try and I'm trying to pass this on to my kids. And I'm starting to see a little fruit of them knowing it. And not just in, in, in God's word, but they're able to apply. I had a sweet moment with my daughter the other day. We were just jamming out. And I, she's played the bass once, and she was playing that bass. She was playing it kind of funky, too. I was like, uh-oh. One of the, some of the songs we were singing this Sunday, she was playing it. So the fact that I have been able to teach my daughter to play a little bass doesn't come just by bass. It comes because she trusts me because I've teaching her God, taught her God's word. And she, has, she knows that there's value in singing these songs and learning how to play the bass so that one day, I know she is probably going to serve on the worship team in, in her little self. Who She's deaf, by the way. I just love my daughter. It, it, it's possible, guys. God has given us. It all starts at this foundation. Sometimes we want to teach our kids. We want to give our kids the world. We want to give them sports and music and skills. But we forget God's instruction. If you give God's instruction, that sets the foundation for actual other disciplines to take place. Disciplines, disciple, right? That's all the same word, disciplined. I'm a military guy. Some of you may have no experience. The military has bad and good things in it. But one thing the military should teach you if you go in, um, should, should teach you, doesn't always happen because there's bad leaders and bad units, is discipline. That's a big virtue in the military. Wake up. Um, do your bed. I guarantee the most successful people do their bed in the morning. You don't leave it all directly, you do it. And because that person is so disciplined that they do that, they eat well, they do all these little things. There's a quote from a guy that says, and I'm not a fan of this guy, but I do like this quote. He says, disciplined people do all the time what normal people do like every once in a while. Disciplined people do all the time what normal people do once in a while. That's what it means to be one of these people. You love God's word. You, you talk about it. You, it's in your soul. And so the Bible talks of the civil and ceremonial law. Okay, just a real quick instruction. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He fulfilled the civil and ceremonial law. He says, don't you think that I have come to abolish the law? He says in Matthew 5, 17. Or the prophets. He's saying, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. The Old Testament gives a strong instruction for today. We, what we keep today is God's moral law. We keep the greatest commandment as the highest thing. So do you see how important the law is? Instruction, the Shema, teaches us how to interact with the law. Joshua 1.8 also helps us to understand how to interact with the law as well. It says, the book of the law, talking about, the, uh, in a sense, the first five books of the Bible. 
That's all they had when Joshua was probably writing this. That's all the Bible they had. The book of the law should not depart from your mouth. I say this a lot. The gospel should be on your lips because it's flowing from your heart. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do, to go the way according to all that is written. It's so essential. Do you love the law of God? Remember, to love God's law means you love him. If you are doing it right, do do we practice evil or sin or are we practice or doing the law? Are we going the way of the righteous? Do you do the law or not do the law? John talks about this practicing sin or um, uh, not practicing sin or not doing sin. Doesn't mean you're not going to sin. We're all going to sin because we're human, right? If you are Jesus and you don't sin, then, then that means that you think you're Jesus. But nobody in here is Jesus. There's one Jesus. He's the only one who could keep it. So because you are supposed to keep uh, uh, these rules from God, because we truly love him, those who love God keep his commandments. John, listen to John, 1 John 5, 3. For the love of God, I mean, for this is the love of God. Here's the definition of the love of God. This is the problem sometimes, is we don't love God's law. We don't love his commandments. They're actually burdensome to us. We're like, oh, man. I got to not lust, or I got to not do this, or I got to not do that, or I got oh, to go to church and be with community. Our flesh doesn't want that. That's a problem. Listen to what John, 1 John 5, 3 says. For this is the, the love of God. Here's another description of what it means to really love God. You want a definition of loving God? That we keep, protect. The word means protect or guard his commandments, obviously in our heart, in our soul, There's a fight, guys. There's a fight of keeping God's word, knowing God's word, and not listening to the scoffers and the sinners, but proactively fighting against that. It says, and his commandments are not burdensome. We should love God's commandment. He says, don't do that. Don't be an adulterer. Don't be a a, a pornographer. Don't be greedy. Don't be a glutton. We should love that. I want to be the opposite of those evil things. I want to be uh, one who knows God's commandments are not burdensome. With Christ, they're light. He carried them. He's the one who suffered for them. And yes, in our flesh, guys, we're going to battle. Paul makes it clear. Okay? We're going to battle. But through the Spirit, we have moments of victory. We can have moments where we actually know that through Christ, His commandments are not burdensome. And that we are called to keep His commandments. So look at verse 3. And here's a beautiful picture of one who loves God's law and delights in it. It says, he is planted like a tree by streams of water. So imagine this tree and there's this flowing water that yields fruit in its season. So a a tree that someone who knows God's word is actually producing fruit. It's going to be evident. Not just the fact that you've planted a church or done some kind of ministry. No, the fruit, remember the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. When people say things against you, when you are in the worst situation you've ever been, when you have no money, do the fruit of the Spirit ooze from your love of God. It says that this person, is a righteous man, is like a tree that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. It has strong fruit. The fruit's there. And in all that he does, he prospers. He prospers not for himself. But for others, that is the way of the righteous man. The tree then bears fruit. The fruit is for others. The fruit is not for the tree necessarily. Do you want to prosper? Maybe your way is the wrong way. 
Maybe you want to prosper yourself more than you think. We're all tempted with that. Many adults today want to prosper for themselves. They don't care about the future. They don't even care about children. They don't care about legacy. Our culture hates children. Our culture wants to put children to death, right? And Jesus says, they're a blessing. We only have one or two children. We don't, our culture says, no, 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 no. Children is going to stomp my life. And this may rub some people the wrong way, but the Bible says children are a blessing, okay? They're not a curse, Many people today don't care about children. That shows our heart. Other cultures care about children. They have lots. And I'm not saying everybody has to have lots of children, but there's something in our, in our culture that makes us hate children. We see it in uh, the historic laws and ways our country has murdered children. Many people today, again, don't care about truth, children. They, they, they don't see them as the future because they're not living lives where they delight in the, in, in the Lord and the stream that is preparing for the future. That's what a leader does. That's what a hero does. They don't care about their life or their legacy. They're preparing for the future. They see, again, we see children as a curse when they are a blessing. We can have skewed ways of thinking about blessing. We can think blessing just means prosperity or that we're going to be financially successful. But there are many financially impoverished believers who are prospering and have prospered because God has sustained them and their family and given them just enough to love God more. He has sustained them through his written word, the Bible, and the living word, Jesus. You see, we can have a skewed way of seeing prosperity. Many believers have even died with true prosperity, which is the blessing of Jesus. It's the way of the righteous or ultimately the joy of knowing Christ. Like Paul said, we've learned the last few weeks in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When you can say that, that's a a man or a woman who's delighting in, in the law of the Lord. Knowing Jesus and believing that Jesus is the true prosperity, that's the way of the blessed man. They were blessed in that they they know Jesus and have his gospel hope. Listen to Jeremiah 17 that helps us understand this blessing. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its root by the streams and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. This reminds us of our psalm. And is not anxious. Who's anxious today? Who's anxious this morning? Who is not anxious in the year of drought? How do you do that? delighting in the law of the Lord. The heart is deceitful. That's where we get this famous line. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Why are we so sinful and sick? Because that's the heart that we have because sin entered the world. Who can understand it? You sometimes Christians like, I'm so surprised they did that evil or that evil. We shouldn't be surprised. We should know our own hearts. We should know that man is capable of horrendous, dark, satanic, evil things. This psalm tells us, verse 10 says, I search the heart. I mean, I, the Lord, this is God speaking. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind and give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Our hearts are evil. We should not trust them. Do you see the two ways to live? Think of this image. If you Google the Nile on Google Earth or whatever, you'll just see this, the Nile, and you'll see it's green all the way around it. It's such a beautiful picture of this psalm. Google the Nile, um, and you'll see that. Are you living in the way of the righteous or the blessed? 
Who is this way? It's Jesus. Jesus is how we prosper. John says in John 14, 6, I am the way. Jesus is saying, I am, and me. He's saying what he said in, Gen in Exodus. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The problem is we want to graduate to some higher levels of learning. That's what the Gnostics did in, in, in John. And Jesus is saying, no, you need the gospel. You need to delight in my law. Start with the little things, discipline. You want the world, we want our cake, and we want to eat it too, but Jesus is saying, you, you want to love me? It, 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 loving sanctification is this process of growth. It's this daily. I played baseball growing up. It's getting in there. It's hot. It's sweaty. You're out there, and you're, just, you're hitting the ball, and you're hitting the ball, and you're going to strike out a lot. You're going to mess up a lot. You're hitting the ball. You're hot. You're sweaty. It's discipline. The Lord, people that are walking with the Lord are disciplined people, and we're going to fail. We're going to mess up, but do we delight in the law of the Lord? The law of the Lord frees us to walk this way, not like robots, but you're actually free like Galatians said. When you know the true gospel, you're free. We need to know Jesus to know the Father. Jesus is the living word, and God has given us the written word. So one's words represent the person. So think about this. Our words come from our mouth, right? So when someone says something, it's not merely their mouth or their breath, but, uh, but it's the, the words and the breath that comes from that person represent the person. That may be common sense to you, but think about it if we talk about God. If someone says something rude or incriminating, the person would be at fault, not their breath, right? That person is at fault, but we don't realize. Likewise, the words, um, again, from that person's mouth can say sweet or true things. The words of a person representing that person. Their words are not meaningless. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never hurt me. That's the biggest lie I've ever heard. That's a lie. Words hurt a lot. The Bible says that. So words are not just breath or air that are merely floating around. These words represent a person. That's why they hurt, because they said it to you. We get our English saying, a man or a woman of their word, or his or her word. Why? Jesus, too, is the word of God. Meaning, Jesus represents God as the living word. And that's what John says. By his word, meaning Jesus' word is equal to God's words or declaration of the Father. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? Hebrews 1.3 says, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Again, John, the beginning of John's gospel, John 1, 1, 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, speaking of Jesus, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Remember, there are two ways to live. Which way are you going? The way of the righteous or the way uh, of the cursed? Again, secondly, we see in our text the way of the wicked now, the way of the wicked or the curse. We got a little taste of that in verses one through three. Look at verse four. It says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So chaff is what flies away when a farmer threshes or separates the wheat from uh, uh, the weeds or the wheat uh, uh, from the tares. You may have heard that in the Bible, but think of wheat and weeds. That's a, a, a more common word. Uh, words that we can think of. So the weeds become chaff, which are useless. Weeds are tares that are blown away by the wind. You initially, initially, the wheat and the weeds look the same. That's scary. Initially, they look the same. Again, initially, when young, we see the righteous, the wheat, and the wicked, the weeds, or the cursed, look similar, indistinguishable. We can't tell. Many people leave the faith. 
But God in his sovereign plan allows both the, the weeds and the wheat, the blessed and the wicked to be together in life and in the church for a season. That's God. God allowed it to happen. Like, God, why, why, why did you do that? Sometimes we as humans, we won't even know the difference. What's the point? The point is that God is judging and not us. And God has called us in spite of that to live a sacrificial life with his church, with gospel partners. You're going to get hit. You're going to get slugged. It's going to hurt. That's how God made it. And God will be the ultimate judge. That's how the psalm ends. Of who his children are. And he is calling us to the power of his son to wake up and heed these words of wisdom. To live like the righteous man who knows, again, to love God is to love his word. Look at verse 5 with me, and we see the way of the wicked more clearly in that we see that they will be judged. Verse 5 says, therefore, the wicked will not stand, meaning they won't be able to hold themselves up. They'll fall. They will not stand. I remember reading this and thinking they won't be at the judgment. It's not what it's saying. It said they won't be able to uphold themselves. We don't really say that. Or to upstand, that's an old English word. When judgment comes, they're going to fall. They have nothing um, it says, the wicked will not stand or hold their ground in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So this judgment is more likely the great white throne judgment when God will separate, separate, uh, separate the blessed from the wicked. We see this great white throne judgment in Revelation 20, 11, and is the final judgment prior to non-believers being thrown into what Jesus calls Gehenna or the lake of fire, what we generally know as hell. God will separate the wheat from the weeds, as we see in Matthew 13, uh, 24, 30. The point is that God is judge, and God will judge. Remember, we are not judge, or we're not the ones bringing vengeance. God's got it. That's our problem, is we want to bring vengeance. We want to bring, doesn't mean we don't care, but we, sometimes we, we care too much, and we put our sovereignty over God's. The Bible says the day of the Lord is near, and, and the God of the way who is the way, the Bible says. He has brought love and he will bring his vengeance in his right time. So remember, the point is we see God will judge and is judge. And we see the way of the wicked leads to the separation of judgment from God, ultimately what we call hell, again, known as Jesus said, Gehenna, this lake of fire, which was alluding to this trash dump that would burn outside of Jerusalem and smelled horrible. If you've ever smelled burning trash, it's disgusting. It, it makes me, I think I'm still sick from the burning trash I smelled in Iraq like 20 years ago, I promise, is the most disgusting thing. Thirdly, we see God knows the blessed, blessed people's way, his children, and, and the wicked's way leads to death. Verse 6 says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There is judgment, again, of this lake of fire, and God knows those who do not know him. And so church family, the, the, my encouragement is, are you walking in the counsel of the wicked? Are you standing with sinners or sitting with scoffers? Or do you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Again, where is your life? Are you prospering in Christ? Or is your life falling into darkness? Think of this. I think sometimes when we think of God's word, it's, it's so burdensome for us because we don't, we, we've put a burden on ourselves that we have to know the whole Bible. Jesus never said that. He just said delight in it. He said love it. 
So I love maps. I'm a nerd, okay? I'll look at like a map of the Google Maps and I'll just stare at Germany or stare at the Middle East or stare at something because it's like helping me like just uh, empathize and study and learn different roadways. And oh, yeah, I've heard about that. I've heard about that. Um, Southeast Asia and Eastern Europe still confuse me a lot. And I love maps, okay? The point of this illustration is think of the U.S. Think of the Bible as the U.S., 50 states. There's 66, 50. doesn't work, but okay. The point is, as you study God's word, a book, the Psalms, we study Philippians. This is what we're going to do at Redeemer. We're going to study books of the Bible so that you can start to grow. I'm, I'm as a pastor, uh, our, my goal is to give you guys food, and then you eat it, and then you go deeper. you got to put some hot sauce on there. you put some stuff, okay? I'm not going to do all that. I can't do all that for you. God has given you the ability to do that for yourself. But the goal is, again, in this map of the United States, it, who in our right mind could know every street in every city in the U.S. How about Dallas? Good luck, right? Just knowing Dallas. Let's just take Dallas or Houston. And imagine that's the pressure we put on ourselves. We're like, I can't know everything about God's word. It's too complicated. So we just bow out. No, God's word is a joy. Just stare at that map and know Dallas. We're in Philippians. Know Dallas. Learn Dallas' streets. Oh, learn some big cities in Dallas. Oh, learn some different ways to get around in Dallas. And then you might, your neighborhood, you're going to know some streets. Come to God's word with love not with a burden, and that will change your life. Think of it as a map to be enjoyed and delighted in, to see the terrain, to see the different topography, to see, oh, look at that cool shop. I like that shop Hugo's or this Pax of Metaphysia. I know that place. I have it in my heart. I know how to get there. That's, that's how God wants you to delight in his word. It's not a burden. It's a joy. So to love God is to love his word. Does your life reflect the way of the blessed or the cursed? Remember, Jesus gives us his gospel. Paul reminds us in Acts that Jesus, that Christianity was called the way initially. And so that's our encouragement. Jesus is the way. Do you love God? Do you know his gospel? Do you know the story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration where Christ and God created and then he allowed, he created us good in his image and he allowed this fall to happen where there'd be brokenness and us missing the mark and then in that, Christ in his redemption. He would be our atonement. He would take on God's wrath. He would live and he would die and live in a perfect way and then die and then resurrect and ascend and promise to come back and restore everything, God. He's, he, like the psalm reminds us, he is the judge. So remember there are two ways to go. Which way are you going? Remember to love God is to love his word. Remember, there are two ways to live. In God's children, we must go in the way of the righteous and not the wicked. This means that the righteous live knowing that to love God is to love his word, meaning God's children must know his written word, which allows us to know his living word, Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. There's so much in your scripture in Psalm 1, Lord, and I pray, Lord, now that you apply this scripture deeply into our souls, into our hearts. Help us see Help us know what you are instructing and teaching us, and let us respond in music now in worship. Lord, we love you. We need you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.